Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, welcome back to the Female Startup Club podcast. Just wanted to drop in here and give you a heads up that today's episode is something a little different. And for the first time ever, you'll be hearing a guy on the show. This was actually an interview I did a couple of weeks back on the My Millennial podcast with Glenn James. And I had so much fun in this episode that I really wanted to share it with you because it goes into detail about my story and a bit about my background, what I'm really excited about at the moment, and just talking about startups and investment in general. If you love this episode, please let me know because I'm thinking maybe I might do more of these and still share them in our podcast. So yeah, let me know. Slide into my DMs. I hope you enjoy it. Whether it is interesting people that I see in the Facebook group who constantly comment and are active in our community, or if I'm trolling Instagram and see cool people doing cool things, my interest is piqued and I want to talk to different people and hear their story. Well, today I'm joined by Dune Roisin from Female Startup Club. We're going to talk her story, what she does day on day, how she got there. We might touch on her views about money how she manages it herself as a business. And we can't do this episode without the help of Global X. From adding some shine to your portfolio with G-O-L-D or bringing a spark with W-I-R-E, Global X offers a wide range of commodity-focused ETFs. They're here to give Aussie investors cost-effective exposure to the most compelling opportunities in commodity markets, including green metals like copper and lithium, carbon allowances and hydrogen. To learn more and before you start investing, please read the applicable PDS and TMD from globalxetfs.com.au. There's also a link to GlobalX in the show notes. And a final bit of housekeeping, everyone, we have officially relaunched Retire Right, that podcast. So if you're over 55 and you're keen to learn how to hashtag Retire Right, you can do that. And My Millennial Daily is now everywhere. It's not just on Spotify, it's on Apple. So if you want 10-minute daily clips from the best of all the shows that we do, you can check that out right now. Dune, you ready to have a chat today? I mean, I love to chat. Let's go. <laughs> all right. You're listening to My Millennial Money. My name's Glenn James. Let's get it on. Let's chat what you're doing right now and then what we might do is rewind and then go through how we got to right now. So, you know, you're in business, you do female startup clubs, you've probably heard elevator pitches, you've probably talked about (laughs) all that stuff. So what do you do? Who are you? Yes. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Dune. I'm the founder of Female Startup Club and Female Startup Club is a women's media company and we 
champion and cheerlead women who are starting businesses, growing businesses, and ultimately want to create generational wealth through the lens of business, whether that is building your own, whether that's investing into others. And it started very casually from my bedroom floor. I'm sure we'll rewind back into that, but very casual, very different to where we are today. Today, we are a top-ranking podcast. We are a successful newsletter. We have a community of early-stage founders and future founders who we speak with on a weekly basis, and we have a lot of fun doing it. Awesome. So would you say you're a facilitator of startup conversations with founders-to-be, current founders, and just being that linchpin in the founding slash startup community? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people who are coming on the show or the women specifically who are coming on the show have done anywhere from seven figures ARR right through to nine figures ARR. We've spoken to two women who have done nine figures annually, which is crazy. Um, And we talk to them about their blueprint in business. So everything from the money piece to the marketing piece to the mistakes that they face to understand how they've built their business into the success that it is. And then our community is often early stage founders or future founders who want to start a business one day, but they don't necessarily know where to start or how to start. So they're coming to us for that inspiration and motivation, but also practical insights and learnings that they can use to kind of go on the journey themselves. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, you've recently moved back to Sydney, I'm told, which yes. was told by you before we hit record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let everyone know where were you and what were you doing there? Why did you move there? Why did you come back? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So if we go back a little bit in 2015, I was working at a startup. I was working at something called The Iconic, which I'm sure your audience will be very familiar with. If you're not familiar and you're not in Australia, it's the leading online kind of website to buy clothes and fashion and footwear and apparel and all that kind of good stuff. And I joined that company as an intern in 2011, like at the end of the year, early 2012. We had less than 100 staff. It was scrappy. I'm talking picnic tables. We were using internet dongles to run this internet business and just doing the coolest things. And that was when I first got exposed to what it meant to work at a startup and what it meant to work for someone who had funding and what an entrepreneur was. I didn't really know much about that world before then. And so I worked there for a couple of years while they were in that early phase of educating the Australian market on shopping online and changing the way we shop online. And around the end of 2014, I decided I was ready for a change. So I got myself ready. I packed my bags and at the beginning of 2015, moved over to the UK to London. And I've been there for the last eight years and it's been quite a journey. I moved over kind of freelancing, working for finder.com, which I'm sure a lot of you will also know being in the Australian landscape, but also in the US and the UK. I was freelancing for them for a while, realized I needed to be surrounded by people and community. I was struggling to be by myself all day and doing the whole nomad thing. So I got a job. It was very corporate. I realized the corporate life wasn't for me. And around that same time, I think early 2016, I met this guy and this guy was like, you know what, I'm building a B2B SaaS company and I'm bootstrapping. So I need someone to work with me on building out a content agency to fund the development of the tech. And I said, hell yes, let's do that. It gave me an opportunity to kind of dip my toe into entrepreneurship without being, you know, super scary and (laughs) 
super all in. And I worked on that business for a while. And that guy is now my husband and I've gone off and done my own thing. (laughs) I love a love story laden with business principles. But um, (laughs) for those who might not know, what does SaaS stand for? And give us an example of a SaaS type of business. Yeah, so SaaS stands for service as a software. And a good example of that could be something like Xero. A lot of people might be familiar with Xero. It's an accounting software company. And instead of, you know, working directly with an accountant, you know, one-to-one, they built this software that means that instead of going one-to-one, they can scale one to a billion. (laughs) And basically you productize a service that you offer into a digital tech company. So another example that a lot of Australians uh, and actually a lot of people anywhere in the world would know is Canva. Yeah, Canva. We use Canva. What a banger of a company. Yeah, female founded. Love it. Yeah, (laughs) I would love to get Melanie on the podcast. So Melanie, if you are listening, um, flick me an email. (laughs) Ditto. (laughs) Hey, um, you talked about a passion for making wealth and generational wealth through business. I've said for some time, there are really only two main ways to get wealthy, businesses and bricks. So property and starting and owning a business. Now, you could say uh, businesses being a, a founder or a shareholder in a business. I mean, it's really rare, you know, if everyone thinks of the top five wealthy people that they know, they're probably self-employed, they're probably in business, they might be high up in sales. They might be a very popular artist or something like that. But the PAYG income, the I wrote a song on YouTube and got discovered, all that crazy celebrity wealth stuff are the outliers. You know, life's a bell curve. Most of the bell for real wealth has been from businesses and buying property. Uh, I made most of my wealth through business and it's just a fascinating thing. And I just want to pick up, like, as a child, what was it like for you growing up? Were parents in business? Was someone influential in business? Did you have a good experience in business? So no to all of the above. <laughs> My childhood, You just love money. <laughs> <laughs> just love money. No, I mean, I do love money. My upbringing was very unique and very different to my life today. And I love to talk about it because it's such a big driver in why I'm doing what I'm doing. So to paint the picture, I grew up with a single mom. I was an only child. I grew up in the middle of the bush in Australia, living off the land. You know, we we just didn't have a lot. We were really poor. So we had an outside toilet. We didn't have electricity when we first moved onto the property, all the things. And it was bloody tough. It was a very beautiful and idyllic upbringing, but it was also really hard for my mom. And so coming from that adversity at such a young age and someone so impressionable to watch a woman have to basically do hard labor to be able to put food on the table, really put something into my soul that I wanted to create wealth for myself, for my own children, to be able to give back to my mom, to be able to give her, you know, a bit of an easier life as she's older. It was definitely a big, you know, shaper for me in my early years. Um, And the world was really different for my mum. She she only had the opportunity to do hard labour in terms of cleaning or, you know, landscaping, gardening, whatever, whereas the internet really changed everything. The internet changed, you know, 
the power and the opportunity for everyone, for you, for me, just with having an iPhone and being able to get out there and try, you can now make millions of dollars a year just by getting started. Like it's crazy. And so for me, that message around generational wealth is so important, especially coming from, you know, watching my mom do what she had to do to survive. Fascinating. And what was the country town or what what was it near? So we lived on a dirt road in the area. There was about 90 people, but the closest town was called, well, that area was called Mount Colliery. It was on the side of a mountain. And then there was a little tiny kind of town, I guess, close by called Tanny Morel. And so I actually recently took my husband back there with my mum to see the property where we lived. It was so beautiful. And the school that I went to, it's closed down now, but there was about 20 of us there. I was the only person in my grade for a couple of years. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was just, there's nothing there. I mean, I think maybe back in the day, there was a, a motel kind of hotel, like a pub um, and a post office, but not even a, a corner store. Wow. And what state? I don't even know where that is. Oh, uh, Queensland. So kind of inland from Brisbane is a town called Warwick. I don't know what their population is, maybe 10,000. And then it was about 40 minutes outside of Warwick. Wow. Well, there you go. So what was your first job after school? What did you do? Did you go straight to university? Did you stay on the land? What did you do? So we moved probably when I was around 10 years old, we were quite young. My mom really realized that I needed to go to a a small school, bigger than what I went, but still a small kind of state school where I could be socialized and have other friends and things like that. So we moved to a small country town called Imble and I was there until grade 10. During that time, like my first job was passion fruit picking, which is bloody brutal. You've got to be up at four in the morning and that kind of thing. It was, it was, Wild. Got to have passion for the passions. Yeah, you got to get that pocket money. And then I also worked at the local kind of grocery store just as a checkout chick. Um, and then the kind of key pivotal moment in my life, which I, I also really like to talk about because, you know, it is something that happened to me that was quite lucky was my paternal grandparents. So my dad's parents, they gave me the opportunity to finish my last two years of school in Brisbane. And so I went away to boarding school. And during this time, I was able to see the power of education, the power of what you can do when you have money and wealth and what that means in the world. And I'd never been around people like that before. I'd never been around, you know, families who were building businesses and doctors and lawyers and and all that kind of thing. So I was opened up to this whole new world, which gave me the possibility to dream and, and kind of think about what my future would look like. And so it was through that kind of shift from small country town girl to the big city that I kind of changed, changed the course of my life. Yeah. Wow. And Young Australian of the Year. Talk to us about that. Where did that fit into the timeline? Yeah, so that was last year. It's been such a highlight in my career. I won Young Australian of the Year in the UK, which was presented by the High Commissioner to Australia at Australia House, which is the the embassy in the UK. So last year, the theme was uh, all around media on screen and off screen. And I had this email kind of come into my inbox saying I'd been nominated, but I I needed to get on a call or something like that. And I was like, oh, it was a spam. I'm obviously not, you know, Mm. responding to that. And then for some reason, I had a message in my LinkedIn as well from the same person. And I 
looked into her profile and I was like, oh, it seems pretty legit. And like the website, it all looks legitimate. And like, you know, the other um, award winners were very well-known people and they've been running for 20 years. So I was like, it feels pretty like this, this can't be super fake. So we were kind of talking, whatever. And then we, she basically told me in a roundabout way that I had actually won, but she was waiting to see if I had responded. And, and I was like, I don't understand like who nominated me and why. And I had been nominated by someone who had come across my work and the award was really, you know, for my contribution to women and girls and, you know, what I'm passionate about, especially in the UK. And so we had this event and it was like 250 people. I had to get up and make a speech and I was sitting beside these other people who I don't, I don't really know who they were. And then <laughs> I didn't realize that we were sitting with other winners because there was four winners and we all knew we had won before the night. And so we were there, blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. And I'm talking to this guy, whatever, asking him about his night. And eventually someone else comes up to me and he's like, do you know who that is? And I was like, no. And he's like, have you seen Tourist that was filmed in Australia? And I was like, no. And he's like, have you seen and said something else. And I was like, no, I haven't seen it. And he's like, have you seen Fifty Shades of Grey? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, it's that guy. It's Jamie Dornan. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and then he had won like an honorary award for his work in Australia. Anyway, long story short, I get up and make this speech. It's, you know, so thrilling. I was so excited. And from that, what happened, which was really crazy, after winning that award, I was invited to Buckingham Palace to meet the King of England for, again, recognition of my work and my contribution to culture and community within the Commonwealth. And so I, you know, got my Sunday best on, went to Buckingham Palace and got to meet the King of England, which was just an absolute highlight of my career. Wow. It's amazing. How yeah. is Charlie? pretty good, actually. I met Charles and Camilla. They were both, I mean, I was actually really surprised. The whole thing was quite overwhelming, but he really gave me a minute. He gave me a couple of minutes. He was talking with me about Female Startup Club. We were having jokes. It was, it was bizarre and amazing. And yeah, Yeah. something I'll remember forever. (laughs) So you're back in Australia and what does the next, you know, few years look like for you, do you think? So... Traditionally, in the last couple of years, building Female Startup Club, we've really focused on women who are starting businesses and growing businesses. But where I've kind of seen myself evolve and what I'm really personally interested in is the landscape of angel investing and VC. And the more I kind of you know interview women, we've interviewed 550 successful founders, most of which or, or a lot of the, you know, a lot of the percentage of the women I've interviewed have gone through VC rounds and the fundraising pathway and yada, yada. It's, it's pretty dire out there. The, the landscape is odd. And so the more I've kind of started to dive into that world and started to invest in businesses myself, we're learning the disconnect between what VCs are investing in and what women are building. So specifically in Australia, you know, the venture capital landscape is very focused on B2B SaaS. They're really not focused on anything else. In America, it's more mature as a market. There are lots of uh, funds that do invest in CPG, consumer packaged goods companies. So you can think, you know, anything from things in your beauty cabinet to things in your pantry. But in Australia specifically, it's B2B SaaS. And, you know, if we speak 
generically and, and kind of stereotypically, it's guys building B2B SaaS and women are building CPG businesses. And so we really need to kind of open up this conversation around why it's important for people to invest in women um, and angel invest and, and why it's important to be educated, informed about that as an asset class so that when the day comes that you're interested or you have an opportunity to invest in something, you're able to have that conversation and know what to look for, how to negotiate your terms, um, you know, how to be involved and how to add value as an investor. Because the reality is the stats aren't changing. The VC world is dire for women. Last year in Australia, 99.3% of billions of dollars went to men. 0.7%, can you imagine, went to women. And so we need to create our own solutions. We need to build our own products. We need to find our own ways of funding other women. And, and a big part of that is angel investing. And so if we can educate a new generation of women to be excited about that as an asset class and be informed when the day comes that they have savings, they want to diversify, they want to support their best friend who's coming to them with an angel round open, they can say, hell yeah, let's get involved. Love it. Hey, we'll take a break and we're going to come back and I'm going to talk to you and ask you a heap of questions because you can see I was looking down, I wasn't being rude, I was writing notes. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to ask you all about angel investing, You know, if someone's listening who wants to start a business. We'll be right back after this. Radio, we're back. I wrote a heap of questions as you were just kind of talking about the what's next and your why. I think there's two roads here. And we'll start with the road that you want to start a business or you've got a business idea. And then the other side of it is that you've got money and you want to be an investor. So let's start with someone is listening and they've got this business idea. Do all business ideas need external funding? Do all business ideas need this big process, this big, I'm a startup, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, all the, you know, go to all the startup events and all that stuff. Like, just talk to us about, yeah, someone's got an idea and they want to start something. So the answer is absolutely not. You do not need funding to get started. You don't need to have, you know, this big flashy startup thing. And I think we get caught in the trap often of seeing XYZ in Forbes and the media really paints this picture of the glory of the fundraise. But fundraising is just such a big pathway. You are essentially committing to a very long-term partnership with someone else who in some ways is is like a boss. They're funding your business. So you have to answer to them. So to go down the pathway of funding and going into the VC world, it, it really is a big decision that shouldn't be taken lightly. Now, just one more thing before we go into like how you can start a business on kind of a smaller, scrappy way. Also, if you have an idea and you're going to go out and, you know, raise funding straight away and get money, you're coming out at a place from an idea only, so you don't have any leverage. You're basically going to have to sell more of your company because you don't have any proven traction or whatever it might be. What you want to do is find a way to start small. You want to build an MVP, a minimum viable product. You want to make sure that people actually want what you're trying to build. And then you're going to try and slowly improve day in, day out, chip away and 
start to build traction so that if you do, for example, need to raise money, and typically if you're in the industry of tech or if you're in the industry of something like health tech or whatever it might be that requires a lot of technology development, if you're inventing something new, you you probably do need a lot of capital to get started, but you want to kind of get those proof points and that customer feedback and, and proof that people want to buy your product before you go out and raise so that you have that leverage. Now, if you're someone wanting to build a beauty business or a soda company or a beer company or whatever it might be, you know, you can get started on a much smaller scale. And ideally, like you, you don't take funding because then you own a hundred percent of your company. I think the thing to think about when you're in those early stages of building a business is to audit yourself and find out what journey you want to be on because they're both very different blueprints. You could be like, hey, my goal is just to make a couple million dollars a year with a good profit margin, have a great lifestyle, travel all the time, you know, yes, be stressed and all that kind of stuff, but kind of live on your own terms and build the business the way that you want to build it. Or you might be like, hey, I am the next Melanie Perkins I need a lot of money for capital. I am prepared to sell my soul for the next 10 years and go down this very specific blueprint of a journey to potentially reach, you know, this massive exit one day when you sell the company in for hundreds of millions of potentially billions of dollars. (laughs) So in 2010, and a lot of people won't know this, the actual origins of Canva and I'm telling this for the people listening, I actually saw Melanie Perkins talk at an event. So back in early 2010s, Google in Sydney, their head office at Piermont, they had these um, startup events and they called them Google pseudo events. And I was going along because I was always interested in the startup world and they'd get different people from Australia come and talk. Anyway, Melanie Perkins came and talked to the group and there was only like 50 people that this free networking startup thing that Google were running. And at the time, Canva was actually doing yearbooks for schools. So everyone, you know, you do your year 12 yearbook. Well, Canva was providing the template to schools so they could just log in, do the yearbook themselves, click print. And then it's just total. And there's a whole story there about pivoting and just starting and all that stuff. But it's a fascinating story. And as you said, like with tech, right, we we were going to do a My Millennial Money app, right? But one of the biggest things, well, I might ask you first, right? What do you think the biggest piece of advice, if there was two or three, you know, bits of advice that people need to do before they start a business? So also keeping in mind that you've mentioned an app, so we'll go with that as kind of like a bit of a base. Yeah. A lot of people, especially first-time founders who haven't been through it and haven't kind of gone through the ups and downs of how easy it is to spend, lose money, make mistakes with money, a lot of people will be like, oh my gosh, I am going to start this business. It's going to have to be perfect. I want to launch it so perfect. So I'm going to invest in branding. Great. Five, ten thousand dollars minimum, up to hundreds of thousands of dollars if you want to work with some bougie agency. Okay, I am going to need to make sure that my product is absolutely perfect. And then if you're not good at negotiating, you have to order 10,000 plus units. Great, another huge chunk of capital. Or someone like yourself, if you're like, you know, I need to build this app and I don't have any technical experience. I'm a non-technical founder and I don't necessarily know anyone in the tech space. I'm going to turn to a development agency in Australia. They're going to charge you 150 grand minimum starting. 
You mm. can spend a lot of money very, very fast. But today, technology is just so advanced. You can build an app yourself on Webflow. You mm. can hire a freelancer to help you build an MVP. Then you can, you know, especially for someone like you, you're in media, you have a huge audience, you can get customer feedback, you can get people to download it, you can get pre-sales, whatever it might be, to find out if people actually want this as a product. Before you go down the pathway of investing, you know, $150,000 to build an app, because a lot of the time what I've seen and what I've heard is that people have this great idea, they don't do market research, they don't do, you know, beta groups and MVPs and all this kind of thing, they develop the product, they spend a hundred grand, whatever, no one wants it. And then if you have taken on investment, you're in a really tricky situation because that's someone's money, especially if it's a friends and family round or an angel round, you've got a lot of, you know, pressure on you to figure it out. And so I would say done is better than perfect. And when you're starting out, especially as a first time founder, doing things scrappy, like just figure it out with no money. Mm. Yes, you might need to pay, you know, a subscription here or there or a couple thousand dollars for something very specific. But how can you start with, you know, under five grand? How can you start for free? And that might be, okay, we're going to get 10 focus groups over the next couple of months and we're going to really sit beside them and talk to them to understand what their challenges are, to understand what the problems are so that you know what you're solving for. Because yes, maybe it's something that you face, but Maybe other people are solving it in a different way and it's not really something that needs to be solved with your solution. So I would say always start by just like not spending money, not mm. spending the money first because you're going to want that money down the track because if it works and people are like, hell yes, I will pay for this, then you're like, okay, now we've got it. Now we've hit that kind of gem. We need to invest in that, whether that's through the team or marketing or the development of the tech or ordering units if it's a product-based business. That's so amazing what you said. And when I first asked you, I wrote something down and you basically said it. Look at that <laughs> on the screen. So, <laughs> yeah. What did I write in sloppy handwriting? Know your market. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone has a freaking idea. But the problem is most people's ideas suck and we need to get it out of our head. We need to get it out into the market. We need to fail and then regroup. And that's what you said. It was really cool. You're only really going to get money based on your idea from friends and family because they're buying into you. Yeah. And out of whether it's guilt, whether it's compassion, whether it's, oh, yeah, you're right. But there's such an echo chamber there. You mm -hmm. need to get the thing out there. I also think when you're in those early stages, don't be so in love with your idea that you don't change it. Because a lot of the time you might have an idea and then you start talking to people, you know, speak to everyone you possibly can because the more you get your idea out there, especially outside of your friends and family group, you start to see people's facial expressions. You start to understand what people are saying. And then when you actually start actively listening, you start to uncover other problems and you're like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's really interesting. And that's probably more important, you know, exactly what Canva did. They were doing the school book thing, but then the more that they started to listen and they realized people actually need this solution because at the time, Photoshop and Adobe products were like a ridiculous amount specifically for professional designers. There was a real need in the market. And so they were actively listening and, and gathering data to inform their decision. And then they did that big pivot. So 
a lot of people can be really in love with their idea, but you need to be open to pivot, open to change. And the process of iteration can really lead you to special things. And all that to loop around, right? When I talked about we wanted to start an app, I'm like, okay, well, we need to get some data and test the market. So we actually got Alex who listens to this podcast. She's like, yeah, I'll take care of it. I'll research. I think Jess can now see my team talk to a whole heap of our users. And then what we kind of did, uh, we did the bit of a cost benefit. And then, like you said, it was like 150 grand to rock up, basically. And then we're like, at the end of the day, the commercials of it doesn't stack up. There's no point with the size of our audience, with the amount of people that would use it, that we would be able to recoup that money. Or if we were, maybe I'll, you know, if it was 20 grand, sure, I could probably sell some ads, but the size we were at at the time, I wasn't spending 150, 200 grand for something that wasn't core business. So, mm. you know, it's about knowing and looking at the um, the cost benefits, right? Yeah, and I think there's two things there. It's like understanding what the core challenge is that you're solving for because if your core problem that you're solving for your audience is really real and true and you're able to iterate on sure, maybe there are similar products on the market, but you're able to make it more affordable or it's a better user experience or you have something very special that you can add because of who you are and your network and your influence. Um, amazing, great. Mm. But if it's because, oh, it sounds fun to have an app and you know your ego is kind of thinking, yeah, I guess this is the next step, we should do this. You know, you've got to be really clear on why you're doing what you're doing and does it really solve a problem? And I think it's like if you start on a road, if it's not working exactly as you said, like kill it. Like the amount of stuff I've done and I wasn't wedded to it. A lot of people might not know before the My Millennial Money podcast, right? I started a podcast called Sort Your Money Out and it sucked. So I ditched it, kind of did a bit of an autopsy. All right, how can I do this? Then different format, different name, different kind of marketing strategy and then it worked. And do you want me to show you the the first I've just got the file up and we'll, we'll show this to, to everyone. I so would this love is to. season one, episode one of Sort Your Money Out from 2017. Remember I started my millennial money in May 2018. And so I pivoted fast. Welcome to the Sort Your Money Out show. I'm your host, Glenn James. This is a show about money. It's about personal finance, investing, small business, everything in between. If you want to be encouraged, stay encouraged, have a bit of fun. You're in the right place. I'll be with you right after this. So basically, you know, similar to what we're doing now, but I just completely changed everything up and went again. I mean, iteration is key, being able to pivot, pivot fast. And also, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, I've invested so much time. I've invested so much of my own money. I've got to stick with it. But actually, a good entrepreneur is able to be like, yep, this isn't going to work financially. I'm going to cut it. And a good example for me was in 2021, I think it was, I spent a year in R&D, so research and development to bring a non-alk wine product to market. And that was in the UK. 
And, you know, we obviously had an audience through Female Startup Club. I had a business partner who was a master sommelier, which is like, you know, one of few in the world. He was French. He was amazing. We had a lot of connections from him. We had the retail connection side of things sorted out. We did this amazing, I did all the things that I just said not to do. We invested in branding. We built this amazing brand, which is still so cool. We trademarked, we did everything. And then when we actually got down to the R&D of it, you know, we went through so many iterations. And one day I said to my husband, I was like, I'm not there. I'm not there. The money, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, non-alc, if you don't have economies of scale because you own a vineyard or you are somehow really deeply entrenched in that industry, the, the cost, the unit cost is just so high. And a consumer thinks that non-alc should be cheaper because there's no alcohol in it. But the process of making non-alc is that it goes through the full process and it has a final step to then remove the alcohol. So it actually costs more. And when, you know, we were trying to figure out the logistics and, and product-based businesses, as anyone listening who has one will know, the challenges of the supply chain, especially at that time, coming off the back of COVID or still being in the middle of COVID, it was so tricky. And and when we really dug into the numbers and looked at what we would need to invest, I think we, we cut our losses at about 20 grand US. And I'm so glad because we were about to place the order for the wine and you can only, you know, buy the grapes once a year. And so we had to basically go from this kind of 20K mark to being like, okay, we're going to invest about 100K to get this thing to launch and then see how we go. And so it requires a lot of upfront capital. And I was just like, I'm, I'm not there. This isn't it. This mm. isn't it. And I'm going to cut my losses and I'm going to lick my wounds, but this is the right thing for me. And it's really important that as an entrepreneur, you're able to, to recognize like when you should pack in the bag and try another idea or iterate or whatever it might be to get to that thing that becomes sticky. Absolutely. Oh, it's amazing. What do you think about this comment? I was at an event in Sydney the other night and I had a guy come up to me and I hadn't seen him for five years. Oh, probably four or three, just before COVID, actually. At the time, he um, offered me to buy into a business and he's just like, oh, we just need dollars. We'll get you to you know, do a couple of days a week as well. And that business now is you know, generating lots of money and all that stuff. And I've got no regrets because... You've got to actually also, I believe, have that judgment call. You know, I was like, well, I could invest into my own My Millennial Money that's going well and put those days into what already is working and I'll there wouldn't be a board of seven people. There wouldn't be VC and all this stuff. So not every opportunity is a good opportunity. Anyway, he ran up to me. He's like a happy puppy dog. This guy's like, Glenn... I've got the best idea for you. I just need you, Victoria, and two other people. So like money people. We can do this and do all that. And I'm like, dude, I don't have the mental energy to do another startup. And I'm like, you want to go get VC and all this stuff. Anyway, so we got talking and he said, the problem with VC nowadays is it's the record industry of the old music world. So once you get in, they own your soul and all that stuff. So... I personally haven't accepted money for my business. I own 100% of my millennial money. I've had a an investment fund offered to buy half of my millennial money, which I like money like the next person. But if I'm a cashed up bogan and have all this money, still doing my thing, but reportable some, to someone else, it's not worth yeah. any of the money in the world. So what's your take on someone who 
has a business, they need to get some money in. Like what type of things are they doing with venture capital money? And is there a difference between legitimately having venture capital partners or investors or loans? Like, is it getting harder with more strings now that you see? Like, do you have people that take money and regret it because they weren't, well, I get it. If, you know, if you're Melanie Perkins and you need to full on go to town and scale, you're going to need a couple of million dollars. Yeah. Like the guys from the Daily Oz, they've taken in funding, right? Because they want to scale the news platform and all that stuff. Yeah. But if you're just like Glenny J or, you know, Dune and you've got a podcast and you're happy to kind of go slow, like do we, do we need the VC? Right. Okay. So there's a few different parts to it. The first and is... And apologies for that thought of diarrhea. No, and just I getting, love it. Just getting everything out onto the table. Um, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So I think the first thing is, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, it's really important to audit yourself and know what kind of person you are. So for me, I know that I'm not that person. I'm not building a business that's on the venture path. I mean, Female Startup Club isn't venture scalable anyway. It's not. It's in the creator economy. I can operate lean. I'm small, independent, great, amazing, perfect. If I was to go out and, you know, launch an app, for example, or some kind of B2B SaaS company that's really sexy in the Australian VC landscape, would I want VC? Still probably not. I'd still probably be trying to find a way to build this business without that and figure out a way to scale without that. But every pathway is different. If you're innovating in, in health tech and you're building a hardware device that requires clinical trials and, you know, just things that I don't even understand the blueprint of, like, of course, you're going to need funding and you're going to need partners that can help you get there for sure. So I would say it really comes down to auditing what you want out of your business. What are the goals? Because you and I, Glenn, we can still sell our businesses one day if we want to. Sure, we can still cash out. Great. Amazing. Maybe it's not a billion dollar business, but sure, maybe it's 20 million or 30 million or whatever it might be. And you haven't had to go down that pathway of VC dollars. It also can mean that you have built yourself a really positive cash flow business where you're able to live the lifestyle that you want every year. But you also might be someone who is like, no, I have a game changing product. I want to reach billions of people or tens of millions of people. And to do that at scale, we need to move fast um, and it requires a lot of capital. And so the VC pathway might be for you. Everyone is different. I think it's just really being clear on like who you are, what your personality is like, because when you enter the VC world, you do have people telling you, pulling those strings and, and you know, making moves alongside you. You you have to operate on a different level. Yeah. And I I really think like, you know, in the investment world, how they say, past performance is not an indication of future performance. You've heard that saying before. Mm-hmm. There's actually an exception and that is with venture capital type funds. And the reason I say that, and because I'm not against VC or people taking money, I'm just like, slow down turbo. Can you actually cash flow this yourself and have a bit more control and you know all that stuff? But like a lot of the big VC companies, right, they'll get first dibs at good ideas. Yes. And they, they know like, and sure, there's obviously outliers where it's like, yeah, that's not that's rubbish, it's not going anywhere and then it goes to the moon. But like a lot of, you know, the big established VC companies, if you invest in their VC funds, usually the past performance is a good indication of future performance because mm. they're good at picking winners. 
Yes, absolutely. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just totally not against VC. I'm just probably more like you, like just caution if you've got this idea, get out there, get it moving. Sure, yeah. maybe set up um, the right structures to start with, whether it's a family trust that owns shares in the company or a unit trust. Like get that right advice from day one. Uh, I met a guy who owned $400 million of a company on his own name. Like wild, right? Wild. In fact, it's actually public. It was Fred Shabesta when I interviewed him on the podcast. His share in Finder, he told me that it was in his own name, like most of it. So wild. Wild. I feel like right? that opens you up to liabilities, no? It's wild. <laughs> and that's and I'm sure, you know, as things went on, he may have, you know, got different entities set up, but the lion's share of his wealth, what he told me, you can Google Fred Shabesta, My Millennial Money, Finder, all that. On the podcast, I asked him about his ownership in Finder. And so, sure, get the right advice, but give it a go. And sure, yeah, go get some VC, but make no mistakes. There's, you know, people give you money, there's going to be strings usually. There's going to be strings. You need to view it as a, a partnership. It's like a marriage because you're tied to those people for the next 10 years. VCs want their money back. You're not getting that money for free. They're investing in you so they can get a 100x return and they want you to be the next unicorn. And to be the next unicorn, you have to make sacrifices for family, for friends. You have to commit your life to building to building this business. Sure, you might get great investors, but you also might not. And coming back to something you said earlier, you know, what I've learned on the show from the women that I've interviewed, yes, I've spoken to many women who, you know, off the record are like, would I do it again? Probably not. Like it, mm-hmm. it is a different scenario when you're at the mercy of others. And, you know, that's a big problem with the media today is the glorification of the fundraise and making it sound like the fundraise is the end goal when that's not the end goal. <laughs> that's just a part of the process. And now you need to make it work and you need to, you know, get to that next level, mm. get to that next raise. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, that one fork in the road that we talked about, about getting an idea and how many people and everyone listening has heard this. People go, I've got a big, I've got a business idea. And they're like, oh, tell us. Oh, no, I can't. Secret. <laughs> Seriously. Um, <laughs> let's, let's see some proof that it's actually got some signs of life. All right. The other side of it, being somebody who invests in other companies. Now, I've invested in some different startups through, you know, those crowdfunding type apps and websites and all that stuff. You know, talk to us about if you do have some money and you do want to help a friend out, family member out, or you're like, look, I've got this allocation and you know, with my financial hat on, of course, everyone is not going to be more than 10% of your portfolio, probably not more than 5% of your portfolio. But you do have, we'll just say, I've got $5,000. I want to invest in a company. I think it's got legs. Like what should people look at? So when you're investing as, I think they call it friends, families and fools and something else round yeah. <laughs> or an angel round. You really are investing in the founder for who they are. You know, it's probably someone that you know or you've been connected to or whatever it might be or, or someone that you've, you're lucky enough to see their deck. So for me with Female Startup Club, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to see a lot of deal flow. <laughs> I have that coming across my desk so I can see, you know, who's raising what they're doing, all that kind of stuff. And there's a different reason why 
you might invest to why I might invest as an angel. So you might be out here being like, yeah, I want to invest in something that I believe is going to 10x my money. And then in 10 years time, I'm going to get that five grand or that 10 grand and turn it into 50 or 100. Whereas for someone like me, my lens of angel investing is actually more impact driven. I really believe in, you know, the message that I'm putting out with Female Startup Club that I can also add impact and value to women that I support. And I want to be part of that sisterhood of putting money behind people I believe in. And because I know the challenges that women face when trying to get access to capital, we know it's shit for women. So if I can be someone who's out there giving people cash and also giving people a voice on my platform, great, amazing. So yes, I want to make a return one day, but I'm also coming at it through a lens of impact. So everyone is different why you're wanting to invest. Um, But yeah, if you have some cash and you don't know where to get started, the things that you kind of need to start with is access to deal flow. So it might be coming to Female Startup Club and learning about who's investing, or it might be, which is something that's coming soon, by the way. (laughs) I'm just Googling Female Startup Club because I'm like, I'm keen. (laughs) It's coming, it's coming. Or you might be joining, you know, a local angel syndicate who basically, instead of you personally doing your due diligence, so for me, I would be doing my own due diligence into people that I'm investing in. You join a syndicate, they do it for you, but, you know, they have specific terms of how much, blah, 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 blah. And then there are, like you mentioned, platforms in the Australian market and internationally that you can invest in as a retail investor versus a sophisticated investor. And I'm sure your audience knows the difference, but a sophisticated investor to be someone who participates in a syndicate, for example, you need to tick certain boxes. It's a certain amount of annual salary for a number of years and a certain or a certain amount of Uh, I think it's a million or $2 million in assets. And so the problem with that and why this system is flawed is oftentimes women don't meet that same criteria the same way that men do. So, you know, it creates this ripple on effect where, of course, men get richer, women don't get richer. Men get more access to deal flow because it's VC, buddy, bro culture, the boys, whatever. They're not coming home and telling their wives, hey, would you also like to invest and let's have this conversation, especially Mm. if it's the man who is the money decision maker in the family. So we need to rally around women and communities and, and getting these things changed. But anyway, that's a whole other story. If you're a retail investor, so someone like me, I can invest just personally one-to-one in someone. I mean, there are ways around it, but like on a top level. Mm. And so platforms like Virtual, for example, in the Australian market are platforms where you can go on. It's kind of like if you've seen a crowdfunding website, kind of like Kickstarter or something like that, where instead of it being, you know, you put money and you get the product, you're investing and you're getting equity in the company. So it's equity crowdfunding. Mm. So for example, a business that I've recently invested in is called Pleasant State. It's Australia's first just out water, non-toxic cleaning company. It's absolutely amazing. They're two female founders. They have a successful, profitable business. They are B Corp certified. They are award winners, Telstra Business Award. You know, they've been awarded by Jacinda Arden and, you know, whatever, irrelevant. But the point is that I'm trying to make here is they went out to try and raise VC and they got turned away every single time. They got no after no after no. And they were like, well, what would it take 
for someone to invest in us. Like, why? This is crazy. They own all their IP. They own their manufacturer. Like, it's crazy amazing. Mm. And so they've turned to platforms like Virtual to give their community and their friends and family and partners the opportunity to be able to invest in their business. And it's currently live at the moment. You can go to Virtual and search Pleasant State. And I'm on, I'm on Virtual now. Um, I'll do a search. Um, you can watch their video. <laughs> it's amazing. And so with platforms like Virtual, as a retail investor, you can go on there and invest as little as like $250, I think it is, like something crazy. Mm. But you can also invest something like $5,000. And that's a way to find deal flow if you don't have the connections or the kind of group around you sharing deals. I probably should, I should put some money in them for, on behalf of everyone at My Millennial Money. Oh my God, please do. All right, I will. <laughs> So everyone, like probably of all the companies on these virtual sites and all that, if you put a couple of grand in or whatever, there is a high chance you will not see your money either at all or for a long time. So as you said, Dune, like you're not doing this to do a smash and grab, get 50% and get out of there. Yeah, this isn't get rich quick. No, it's (laughs) long term. So you've got to know, and this is why I said, you know, probably not more than 5% of your portfolio in specy startups because these are what they are. They're unlisted. There is virtually no liquidity. They might have rounds where they're, you know, buying all that. But if you look on there, believe in, you know, what a brand might be doing and you are interested in helping other startups, well, get in there. Absolutely help. I'll have a look later and I'll um, do some... I'll click, I'm interested, here we go. We're doing this live, everyone. But I, see, it was so funny, like I did this with another company on, I don't know if it was this site or another site, right? And I did the EOI and they're like, yeah, we'll send you a package and all this stuff. It was They did soaps because I was going through this thing where like I love soaps. Um, <laughs> I love then, being clean. <laughs> yeah, and like I just love different soaps and did all the registration, all this, never heard back. I'm like, gosh, either they've been overwhelmed response or it didn't get up or... Oh, and I actually paid for the... Actually, no, wait, it's coming back to me. I put an order in on their website and I'm like, I'm going to buy some soaps first, then I'll invest if I like the product. Paid for it, never heard back. It was like $55. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, don't know I can't comment on that no, no, no. or what the platform was, but I'm sure it wasn't virtual. <laughs> no, it wasn't virtual, but there was, yeah, either way, all I'm saying is you just got to do your own DD and everything is a risk. But knowing risk and return, it doesn't mean don't invest. Like I invested in something at the start of the year and then just today cashing out with a 40% return, like hugely specky, hugely might lose my money. I know that's the rules when I invest in illiquid speckies. doesn't yeah. always pay off. Yeah, like you've got to play the game. You've got to be in it to win it. And I think that, again, like there are different reasons why people invest. Mine's definitely through a lens of impact. It's part of the show. You know, we we then bring these women onto the show to keep talking about their businesses so that we can share this journey together and understand what's happening in the landscape for women on a deeper level. Mm. Um, But for the average person who wants to invest it, there might be a number of reasons why you want to be involved. But of course, it's risky. I think that 
what else is important is just knowing that women find it harder to access capital. It's it's a known problem. The stats are really shit. So if you're able to be out there helping women and you also know that women-founded and women-owned businesses generally have better returns than male-founded businesses, and that's a true fact. I can't give you the exact numbers on like what it is, but that's a that's a stat that's out there. You know, just support where you can. And that might, I'm not even talking about just investing in businesses through the lens of angel investors. That might just be being more proactive in in buying directly from your favorite brands, male or female founded, instead of buying it through Amazon so that you put directly, you know, that money into the pockets of people versus through a third party supplier, whatever it might be, shouting about them on social media, liking their content, telling your friends about it, raving about it online, writing a review, all of that kind of support to a business owner means a lot. And then on the extreme scale, investing in a founder that you believe in and a business that you believe in is, it's really cool <laughs> to be yeah, honest. I, it I feels love good. It. So I've just, um, as you were saying that, I've just put my uh, expression of interest into pleasant state. Uh, I'll probably put dollars in. Uh, on behalf of everyone at My Millennial Money. Oh my uh, God, that's so cool. Everyone, don't do this just because I'm doing it. I'm just doing this as some goodwill to support uh, some you know, female founders. I'm going to jump on and probably um, buy the product as well. They've got active products, obviously, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. I use it in my kitchen. They've got products for under the kitchen sink, in the laundry. But yeah, I mean... This is just so fun. And, and the good thing about technology now, it's two ways. One, it allows us to look at different ideas, invest in companies like Pleasant State. Or if you are a company like My Millennial Money, for example, or your business, you don't have to spend $200,000 on a tech solution because there might be a tech stack that you can white label. You know, I, I looked at it all, but then it just was like, you know, we've got to focus on our core business and that's doing good podcasts. So tech is really cool, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and now there's a lot of no-code options as well. And mm. off the top of my head, like I think Bubble's one of the most known ones. And I've even read some stories of startups who were built on no-code platforms like Bubble being acquired. So mm. the world is changing, especially with, everything to do with AI, like we're going to see a lot of, of shifts and, and that I think, you know, I'm not talking about like, you know, deep tech where that technology piece is very, very important and whatever. I'm talking about kind of the apps and the easy functionality that already exists in the world that you can piece together on these no-code platforms. Everyone totally. has an opportunity to create something yeah. at a lower right. cost. So there you go, everyone, you know, support other people in life. Whether it is calling someone and asking how they are, sending them a text, sending them a voice memo, whatever, or whether it is investing in a startup, if you can. If you want to start a business yourself, do it. It's awesome. You don't have to. You know, get plugged into, you know, the female startup club. Get encouraged. Listen to the podcast. The podcast is just called Female Startup Club. You know, don't yeah. listen to me. Listen to Dune. She'll Let me you be up. your hype girl. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So, look, we've had a, a big chat, talk a lot of shop. Anything else that you want to add? Ooh, what do I want to add? I mean, I, I, if I can ask you a question, 
If Please. someone does want to get involved, I'm asking you a question to promote your stuff, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> if someone does want to connect, like what's your main community hub? Is it a Facebook group, the Instagram, email list, podcast? So the podcast, we have a couple of episodes every week. We have the newsletter that comes out every Monday. If you're someone who prefers more of the written word than the audio piece, then we are also very active on Instagram and TikTok. Love to have a lot of fun on social. Um, We have the book. The book is on Amazon. It's called Your Hype Girl. And I'm also just someone who loves to chat. You can drop into my DMs anytime. I love to hear what people are up to, what people are kind of working on, what's happening in the business world. Yeah. Who do you reckon is the most influential person or topic matter of recent months that you've probably had a chat with? And not because influential, oh, they went on and started, you know, the next Apple or whatever, but more just like impactful in your life. Because you're like me, you have a lot of conversations with people. Yeah, I have a lot of conversations with people. Um, Recently, I spoke to a friend of mine, her name's Juru, and she is the founder of a company called Hero Cosmetics. And I bring her up because May was AAPI History Month. It's a month that's really important to... Um, elevating voices of minority founders. And Ju is this amazing founder who built her business and sold it at the end of last year for $630 million. And I think it's so key, yeah, with minimal investment, one round in the very beginning, an angel round. Amazing. Um, yeah, her investors are very happy. So, you know, speaking with women like her, is critical because she is a role model to so many women, so many women. And, you know, being able to hear her story and her learnings and what her life is like now is really amazing. So I love speaking with her and and she definitely is a very inspiring woman. Who else? Oh my gosh, I speak to women all the time that just blow my mind. Jew is really recent, so that's why she comes to mind. I interviewed Layla Hormozzi once. Do you know who Alex Hormozzi is? Oh yeah, yeah. The um the game, the podcast, the game. He, mm. he does. He did the gym stuff. Yeah, he yeah. did the gym stuff. He owns acquisition.com. Well, they both Layla yeah. and Alex own acquisition.com, and you know they do a hundred million revenue in a year and blah, blah blah blah, all that really great stuff. But they're bootstrap founders. They built these amazing businesses. Um, so that's really it's just important to have voices that you can look to and be like, it is possible, especially as women, it is possible. We have role models that we can look to who have gone all the different kind of pathways, bootstrapped, funded, angels only, you know, that kind of thing. Do you ever do live meetups in like Sydney or Melbourne or anything like that? So we did when we launched the book last year, we did one in New York. It was so much fun. And we did one in London and I really want to do one in Sydney sometime soon. It's on my like vision board for this year. (laughs) So my thing, right, I love talking about small business. Mm -hmm. Like just love it all day long. And for everyone listening, I'm more of a business owner than a podcaster. Like people go, what do you do for work? I go, I run an online business. Like I run a business. Like Me too. Yeah, like I just love the business side of it. Shell the other day called me from my millennial career and she's like, we need to do a, a business event where if we just do like business owners, get them in the room and all that. 
So yeah, and the, but then it's like ugh, events are so expensive. So yeah, you yeah, need I'm, a good sponsor and I need a good venue. Totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah, we um, should do something together. That would be fun. Yeah, I'd be keen. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll definitely will because you know Shell's keen to do it. Um, I'm keen to do it. You're keen to do it. We could probably do Sydney or Melbourne, um, and just keep it just grassroots. Like you're just interested in entrepreneurship. You're interested in small business. Final question, because I was just thinking about this as we're doing the chat. If you had $100,000 that rocked up into your business tomorrow and it wasn't VC or whatever, but it's like, here's $100,000, you have to spend it and invest it in your business. What are you investing that in? Damn it, you caught me off guard. It was an easy answer until you said my own business. I would have invested it in others for sure. Actually, you know what I would still do? Loophole, I would still invest it in, I would invest small checks, 10 to 25K into a number of different businesses and weave that into our media strategy. So find people who are really open to sharing through the journey and build a series out of that. It's something that we already do, but doing it kind of at scale. User-generated content. Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) So anyway, it has been real. Thanks everyone if you're still listening. Uh, As you know... I just love talking about business and things with cool people. We will help your podcast however we can. And yeah, it's been great to have you on the podcast. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye, everyone. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash hype club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. 